you have a pew Bible, we're going to reach, we're going to turn to page 1169. Um, 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that are all that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom and of promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Please offer prayer with me. Lord God, you have revealed yourself in your goodness, wisdom, and power. In all things. And it is a shocking word, but we and all others stand inexcusable in our very hearts. We have the accusation and we have the approbation. We, we, we know that we stand before your measure and it, it even rings with us. We know that you oppose sin and uh, we know it is to have camaraderie with another who shares our, our pet ugly. Father, you've sent your son. The strong man has been bound. Your son has has plundered his house. And your people are gathered here as the goods, as, as the loot. Lord, please use your word, which you revealed, and, and to protect us from the malice of the world and the, the malice of the devil you wrote down it's here in our hands and when we we recognize how extraordinary it is that we are, are literate and that we, we own scriptures and that that we are we're the beneficiaries of so much a legacy of learning and remembering and cherishing your word Lord Jesus is by the of the Spirit that you bound him. And we ask that by, by that power you would you would adorn us, that you would work in us the glory and delight of your Father. 
is only half of your word, and even the pretense. We pray in your son's name, Father. Christians, listen. By faith in Christ, you have died to the powers that have ruined this world. So it makes no sense for you to live like their slave any longer. Christian here, trusting in Christ makes his death yours. So do not attempt to be a good enough Christian. What are these powers? What death are we talking about? Hear this statement from Paul in Galatians 6. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is Paul's starting point. This is why he says, if with Christ you died, why? Christians, listen. By faith in Christ, you have died to the powers that have ruined this world. So it makes no sense for you to live like their slave any longer. Christian here, trusting in Christ makes his death yours. So do not attempt to be a good enough Christian. Paul attacks this problem as a contradiction. This if, then why, is an impossibility that somehow is walking around in real life. What Paul describes is like our fictional idea of a zombie. A person died, but the corpse keeps going. It has no freedom. It moves, but under some other power. It has no fruitfulness like a living person. It just brings harm and horror. It has no freshness like a living person. It's dead and grotesque. Christian religion can become just like that. Christians, listen. By faith in Christ, you have died to the powers that have ruined this world. So it makes no sense for you to live like your slave any longer. Christian here, trusting in Christ, makes his death yours. So do not attempt to be a good enough Christian. The zombie is a harsh and disturbing image, but it fits Paul's words. His words are pointedly and specifically negative here. Paul's expression really has a ring of ridicule. If with Christ you died, why as if you were still alive? It makes no sense. And notice, Paul doesn't give much explanation. He is quite certain that they are quite familiar with this quite elementary, elementary part of the gospel. It's not only an if statement. It's an underlying of shared knowledge. Since you know that with Christ you died, why? 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 Please understand, Paul's purpose here is not 
to shame you into some attempt at being a better Christian. He's not saying until you get your act together, you need extra effort, self-loathing, and whatever sacrifices you can imagine. Verse 23, and this entire passage are 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Faith in Christ does not require self-made religion. Your religion doesn't have to become good enough. God lays in front of you his religion, his promises, his faithfulness, his practices to share in the regularity of your life. Faith in Christ does not plunge you into a psychological asceticism where you must be serious enough, sober enough, sad enough, or faith won't work. There is no groveling. No. Faith in Christ gives you dignity to stand in God's presence and reason to rely on his care in your life. Whatever fleeting and even fickle feelings um, fly across your face every five minutes, faith in the Lord Jesus is the opposite of both anxiety and stoicism. Faith in Christ is not training you in a tight and miserly life, fasting, depriving yourself of sleep, avoiding the pleasures of God's gifts. You don't need to achieve sufficient severity towards the body. Yes, there are times to stay up all night. Uh, yes, and times that you don't want to eat. And times when foregoing various gifts is very useful. But faith in Christ does not mistreat your body or your person. Jesus may call you to die for him, but he will not call you to commit suicide. Jesus calls you to kill your sins while he calls you to live a life of joy and thankfulness and wholeness. Christians, listen. By faith in Christ, we have died to the powers that ruin the world. So it makes no sense for you to live as their slave any longer. Christian, here, trusting in Christ means that his death is yours. So do not attempt to become a good enough Christian. Now, if this sounds rather odd for sinners like you and me, then you are listening well. Perhaps you aren't a believer in Christ. Then listen. Coming to Christ involves real renunciation of things you treasure, demands that your heart holds on to, has no other real renunciation. It can even feel truly humiliating. But Christ will not make you a zombie. Christ will make you the opposite of a zombie. So what is Paul teaching when he writes, with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why does this make submitting to regulations such an absurd and disturbing behavior? It may be surprising to hear Paul speak of you dying with Christ. More commonly, we speak of Christ dying for us, Christ dying in our place, Christ taking in his body the punishment of our sins. It may seem odd or even morbid. To hear Paul speaking of your death as somehow a positive thing. What could be gained by death? Now I've explained in previous sermons that the 
English Standard Version translation is idiosyncratic when it translates the Greek phrase here, elemental spirits of the world. Almost every other modern translation uses an expression like spiritual forces or spiritual powers. Those translations avoid a term that is exclusively personal, like angels and demons. The King James is very straightforward with its, with its, its translation, the rudiments of the world. While Paul does speak of angelic and demonic beings, he says very little. However, he speaks repeatedly of other powers which dominate human beings and from which Christ delivers them. In his list of powers are sin, death, the law, the flesh, the old man, and the world. Now hear these texts from Paul. Galatians 2, 19-20 For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I died to the law. I was crucified with him. And then at the end of Galatians, as I quoted before, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I crucified to the world. Romans 7. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. And lastly, this is Romans 6. We know that our old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. It's rather simple. The law, sin, death, and the flesh dominate sinful people. People are enslaved to sin, and that slavery ends in death. Christ died in our place. Therefore, by faith in him, we are freed from all the bondage of this world. Hear Paul again. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, there is more to understand in weeks to come. But next week, we'll read this in Colossians 3.3. 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For now, let's follow Paul here and focus on the contradiction. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? What does this freedom from sin rule out? What does being dead to the world exclude from your life? What provokes Paul's consternation and ridicule? Here again, verse 21, 23. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. 
Paul's stern words make explicit your need for a warning. And the real fact of Christian foolishness. Christians can fall into stupid things. The Colossians were influenced by impressive Jewish religious philosophers. Serious religious people who said the Old Testament is true. And here's why Paul speaks so sharply. Some of the Colossian Christians have changed their behavior under that influence. They've adopted a set of holiness rules. Don't physically get involved with these foods or these kinds of objects. Don't taste them. Don't even touch them. Paul's already said in Colossians 2.17, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Jews in Colossae are keeping these holiness laws precisely because they do not believe in the Lord Jesus. Why on earth would the followers of Jesus in Colossae adopt this? Why would they submit to those rules? The problem is not just the rules, but the reason behind the rules. If you're going to commune with God, you need to conform to God's requirements and His holiness. In short, you need to be good enough. Words of grace and mercy may be repeated over and over, but you must be a good enough Christian to participate. This is why these rules are ridiculous for those who have died to the law and sin in the world. With Christ, we have died to the demands and necessity and impossibility. Your Savior is good enough for you. You don't have to become good enough Christians. You don't need a checklist to complete before you glorify and enjoy Him. In our own day, there are such rules being offered. Being hoisted like a banner, being commanded for those who will be truly serious, who will give all to God and not hold back. There are rules about the body. Avoid meat, avoid sugar, avoid feasting, reject leisure and worldly distractions. Real Christians don't drink alcohol or smoke tobacco or real Christians they enjoy dark beers and fine cigars there are rules about your emotions real worship achieves a certain emotional release real Christians nod at disappointment and do not suffer devastating grief real Christians don't laugh or play or enjoy cartoons real Christians don't struggle mightily with their sinful anger. But real Christians are empathetic and weep at the daily news. There are rules about politics. Real Christians are Republicans. Real Christians are Democrats. Real Christians are anti-racist. Real Christians think climate change is a joke. Real Christians say X about masks, vaccines, voter ID laws, and public education. Like the Colossians, you can make any one of these rules look right. You can find some Bible verses and give some explanations and double down on what you think is righteous. With some moderation, all these rules can be made publicly presentable. All of them can claim the respectability of being convictions. 
You might ask, why is Paul so disturbed about the Colossians' diet, eating habits? Again, it is the reason behind the rules. The reason behind such rules transforms convictions into qualifications. Any qualification, any X makes me holy, any claim to be good enough, anything like this is at odds with faith in Christ. How do you know your conviction has become a qualification? When do you need the blessing of Paul saying, if with Christ you died, why? Why? You need to know and apply Paul's three attacks on the Colossians' holy rules. He, he doesn't just say they're incorrect. Earlier in the passage, with 2, 16, 17, he said that observing the food laws and keeping the holy calendar was unbelief, a failure to recognize that Jesus fulfills all God's promises. Now he attacks the rules as rebellious, ruinous, and just plain rotten. They aren't just convictions, they are cancerous. You need to swing Paul's three axes at the trees, at the trunk of your claims to be a good enough Christian. First, Paul says the Colossians' rules are rebellious. I know you've got those Bible verses in hand. They are a rejection. These rules are a rejection of God's authority. Hear Paul's description. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Now, the Greek sentence is difficult. That's why the ESV puts these parentheses in. But the substance, these words, these two phrases, are a quote from the Lord Jesus in Mark 7 and Matthew 15. Paul doesn't remind them that it was Jesus who said these words. They've been well instructed. He reminds them that this is what Jesus said about the Old Testament laws. No food carries corruption or holiness. Instead, reverence for God's commands made obey obeying the food laws a necessity of holiness. Two, when human beings invent laws for holiness, they not only lack all authority, they are an arrogant rejection of God's authority. Every attempt to be a good enough Christian is an arrogant refusal to acknowledge that God's holiness cannot be honored with a human counterfeit. When you make a claim to being oh, not perfect, not good, but good enough, really doing the best that you can, then you are despising the perfection and grandeur of God's holiness and throwing a cover over the gift of righteousness by faith alone in Christ alone. When you raise up and fulfill your own invented standards for a good enough Christian, you are rebelling against God's holiness. You're not increasing in holiness, you are increasing in confusion and foolishness. Not only are these rules for being a good enough Christian rebellious, they are ruinous. Rules like this are not static. They're not just some important opinions that you take seriously. As Paul says, 
They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Once you start the project of being a good enough Christian, you will never complete it. The law and sin in the world are only satisfied with either your perfection or your death. So the rules you adopt, self-invented or received from someone that you think is, frankly, smarter than God, these rules will promote more and more of the same. They have an appearance of wisdom because they contain a logic that produces light, produces light. Wisdom is that how things work in the world. The wisdom of a plant is photosynthesis. Amazing. Dynamic. From that plant, it grows and grows. Leaves and foliage and buds and blooms and fruit. That's God's wisdom. Your rules for being a good Christian have their kind of wisdom, their productive quality. You will invent self-made worship, practices or requirements that make you feel holy, but God never desired such things from you. Your rules will produce asceticism, not the bodily deprivation that Paul mentions next. No, a groveling experience of failure that pretends to be a low and worm-like honor for God who is great. <clears throat> but it's just failure trying to be brave and better than failure that takes offense. That self-made worship and self-deprecation will demand actions of severity towards your body. You will do to yourself harm to demonstrate and achieve what feels like being a good enough Christian. These rules are not only rebellious, they are ruinous. But the final point of ridicule, we're hearing Paul should make you say, wait, Paul, I've died with Christ. None of this is for me. The final point is that these rules are just plain rotten. Not only do they do harm, they don't even give what they promise. Paul says they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Rigorous control of your eating, careful mastery of your emotions, and serious wielding of your politics, none of this will help you resist the wicked demands and pressure of the flesh. You can't heal your sins by making up rules any more than you can grow in holiness by repeating God's actual commands. Your flesh is rebellious and ruinous and just plain rotten. Your industrious and costly efforts to be a good enough Christian will not stop you from indulging your sin. Trying to be a good enough Christian will not do you any good. 
Yes, become better instructed, become more loving, excel in kindness and service, but absolutely do not try to become better enough, more loving enough, kind enough, serving enough. Grieving that you are not a good enough Christian will not do you any good. Yes, engage in realistic self-criticism. Receive the correction and complaints of the people who know you. Regret foolish words and actions. Make amends. Bring in love to push out your selfishness. But absolutely, do not try to become a good, good enough to live your life with confidence. Absolutely, do not try to become good enough to live your life with confidence and ambition in Christ. You cannot be good enough and have that confidence and that ambition to be anything but mock you. Your qualification is Christ. All your confidence and ambition comes from the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Don't try to be good enough. Place all your confidence in Jesus being good enough. Ridicule your qualifications and rejoice in your Savior. Christians, listen. By faith in Christ, you have died to the powers that have ruined this world. So it makes no sense for you to live like a slave any longer. Christian, hear. Trusting in Christ makes his death yours. So do not attempt to be a good enough Christian. Paul's words here call you to repudiate any suggestion that you are good enough or sorry enough or anything enough. No. This passage is not the whole of godliness. In many ways, this is the whole that godliness fills. You are the sinner. Christ is the Savior. His glory is that he shares his glory with you. Pray with me. Father, I ask that you would that you would use this exercise that you would appoint and make us a people who rejoice in your Son. Who do not indulge the flesh. And live fruitful with the one we've been given to. Pray in your